Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 2 of our season 11. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. You know, this is funny. This is actually the earliest I think we've ever recorded a podcast uh, together. I'm still getting Um, up. I'm still waking up over here. Yeah, this is about 10 o'clock on Friday, uh, the the week before this comes out. This is very, it's the latest we usually record it as far as what day, but it's the earliest during the day. So yeah, this should be an interesting, uh, we'll see what the energy's like today. Yeah, Mabe Village, which is what we played in a track from uh, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, Mm -hmm. is a perfect track to sort of wake me up. Uh, you know, it's That's very true. light. It, it it feels like the morning. It's very soothing. It's I, I very almost want it piece. as like an alarm because it's, it's not too disturbing. Yeah. So, guys, what we're going to do today is we're going to explore all of the Zelda handheld video games. And this was an idea that we had, I think, just last week. We were like, let's do something really fun for our episode two. Something um, in a series that a lot of people love. And we're like, you know what? We could go back to the Zelda series. And we realized that we haven't really had one episode to just focus focus on the handheld entries. I think there definitely are times when maybe those are forgotten a little bit. You know, everyone talks about the the mainline console soundtracks, but right. the handheld entries are are quite awesome, uh, especially in my opinion the the first handheld game Link's Awakening um, right. as well as Minish Cap and then some of the more recent 3DS ones are exquisite. Yeah, it's really cool because uh, my opinion even just as far as the games themselves are that these handhelds are um, some of the most classic Zelda experiences. I mean, yeah. and even that that's a tradition from Link's Awakening is fantastic. The Oracle games are mm-hmm. excellent. Minish Cap is one of my favorites. And A Link Between Worlds might be one of my favorite Zelda games. Just game-wise, yeah. Yeah, and then in terms of the soundtracks, uh, we have a multitude of composers here, but they all, I think, really stepped up to the challenge of carrying on the wonderful tradition that Koji Kondo established. Right, and I think that's another reason why it's it's really great to focus on the handheld entries is because we get to we get to feature other composers in the series that never got to work in you know the console games. Um, You know, there's one name coming up here. That's that's pretty exciting that we're going to talk about when we get to Zelda Spirit Tracks as a, a person who is actually making the transition to the mainline series. We'll get to that later. But okay, we have a lot of wonderful music to get to. Let's talk about the first soundtrack of the day. It's Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening. Came out for the Game Boy, and what you guys heard up top was Mabe Village, which is really just one of now I think one of the most classic themes of the entire series. It feels so Zelda-ish. It's this very it's this very humble theme that just really makes you feel peaceful and at home. Yeah, it has this pastoral quality. It's mm-hmm. it, but it, it's even pluckier and cute. Part of that can be attributed to that Game Boy sound. Sure. Um, but it's it's tapping into the harmony of things like uh, Kakariko Village, um, and. For for a track that's relatively early in the Nintendo timeline, at least I think in today's context, this soundtrack has one of the most spot-on kind of uh, Koji Kondo impressions, I should say, mm-hmm. of any of not only the Zelda soundtracks, but the Nintendo scores in general. It's always so surprised me because that... <laughs> What's so great is Koji Kondo being like the godfather of game music and Nintendo music is really any entry in the Mario or Zelda franchise is always living in his shadow yeah. musically. 
And I think it's a challenge for a lot of composers to sort of find their own identity and also mm-hmm. feel true to Zelda. And what's so amazing to me about Link's Awakening is that it does all of that so effortlessly. That's that's definitely true. So let's talk a little bit about the team that worked on this game. So Kazumi Totaka was kind of the, the lead director, and what he was in charge with was the sound programming and all the sound effects. So that was his job on this score. Now, the music composition was by two newcomers to Nintendo, two wonderful female composers. We have Monaco Hamano, her first project, as well as Kazuo Ishikawa, her first project too. Now, Kazuo Ishikawa unfortunately only got to work on a few Nintendo games, one of them being the canceled Star Fox 2. Um, so she's a great composer as well. Monaco Homano, a very famous Metroid composer. Yeah. She started with Super Metroid, and she did the soundtrack for Metroid Fusion and even worked in some of the later Prime games. Right, so this is definitely a different side of her than we're used to hearing. All right, let's continue, and we're going to play a few more tracks from this wonderful score. This one is called Koholint Island from Link's Awakening. Nice short and sweet loop here, uh, very consistent with the length of loops you would get for Game Boy music of this era. Very, very simple, very, very beautiful. This is Koholint Island from The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, and once again the composers here are Monaco Hamano and Kozuo Ishikawa. Now one thing that both Will and I are very curious about, and something we've talked about over the years, is um, Kazumi Totaka's role, his specific role in this project. Um, Now, it's hard to know exactly the extent. We know that he did all the sound programming implementation and the sound effects, but it's also possible that he may have had a little bit more of an overseeing role since these two ladies were were newcomers and and fairly young, I believe. Well, yeah, and uh, my sort of thinking behind that is just that the score so much has a lot of his earmarks compositionally. He's someone that I associate a lot with uh, Game Boy music, Um, particularly the score for uh, Mario Land 2, which is just fantastic, and is also nailing that Koji Kondo sound, but has a little bit of his own style. And what's always been interesting is Link's Awakening sounds a lot like that score to me. So I imagine even if he wasn't composing a lot for this game, I do think as the sound director, he was sort of overseeing the composition and possibly he may have composed one or two pieces to sort of set the tone for what the score was ideally supposed to sound like. I could see that happening, yeah. Let's talk about this piece in general. It has, uh, it's doing two great things right off the bat. First of all, it has this sort of descending uh, uh, major and minor seventh progression, which Mm -hmm. feels really jazzy, but also feels... Kind of like the fairy fountain theme, right? Yeah, it's perfectly 
Nintendo and it, it fits for Zelda. And it's also kind of a little theme and variations of the opening uh, motif from the main Zelda theme. Sure. Well, it's actually what, what I like about it is this is one of the themes that feels like the main theme of Link's Awakening because you have probably like five or six different variations um, as the score progresses of this melody. It's very simple. It's very beautiful. It does remind me a little bit of it's kind of like Fairy Fountain, you know, the sequel to that to that piece. Yeah, what's cool that we have to remember is that even though this is an 8-bit game, it comes after Link to the Past. Yeah, and that's I think true. Link to the Past was probably the first game where the, this was a the couple years Zelda after, tradition yeah. sort of solidified, I think. Yeah, exactly. This was 1993. Sometimes I forget about that. All right, so let's move on. We're going to play uh, a couple more tracks from Link's Awakening. This is a very, very simple, even more simple and pure than that last piece. Uh, it's so beautiful and peaceful. Let's take a listen to House. You guys are listening to House from The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. I know this is one of Will's personal favorites on this score. Um, It's just so beautiful. And I don't know, I got to say that Link's Awakening to me is... Uh, I know people definitely appreciate it, but it seems like it's a little bit underrated. I don't know. I think there's just some beautiful melodies. I think that happens with handheld games in general. Because, I mean, even going back to the Game Boy, the idea was like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. We can play video games on the go. But then Mm -hmm. (laughs) usually you get home and it's like, okay, I'll play the console games. And they sort of go... I think it's sort of their nature to go unappreciated, but when I think back of some of my favorite games, a lot of them are handheld titles. I mean, Link's Awakening, Metroid Fusion, Mm -hmm. uh, there's just like a rich tradition of Nintendo uh, handheld gaming. Yeah. This soundtrack, I mean, the statement you said that, oh, this is one of Will's favorites, you could say that about every single piece we're playing from Link's Awakening. And you know what's you know what's funny? Uh, something that we said last time, uh, last track, and this is true, this feels even more like the sequel to the Fairy Fountain theme. The fact that it's arpeggioed, it's definitely trying to evoke a harp, in my opinion. Well, you know what? It actually feels like the sequel to almost like the original fairy theme, which is the game sort of over. game over music. The... Yeah, that's true. Because this is also just a singular melody that is not harmonized. But the thing that's really impressive about the this delay. piece is, yeah, it has almost it, what sounds like almost three layers of delay. Like, it's it's so rich and wet and, and lush. Um, but first and foremost, just the melodic line that was composed does a great job of outlining uh, the chord progression in a very detailed, beautiful harmonic progression. But it also feels melodic. It, it it feels completely satisfying and it has that same spacious thing that the game over theme does where it has some low pitches and it has and it, it leaps up to these high pitches where you almost perceive it is like a duet between two different instruments definitely true i mean i gotta say that uh i i kind of wish that we had more uh to draw from from kazoo ishikawa's career um because i think 
she is a wonderful composer. I mean, listening to Star Fox too. I mean, that stuff is amazing. She also worked on uh, Mario Land Three, which was the first Wario Land game. Um, and she was on the sound team of Earthbound, um, as well as a couple other. Yeah, what's interesting? Uh, every games. project that she's worked on has been sort of a collaboration with other composers, typically yeah. composers that are more notable. So I think some of her mm-hmm. contributions may get overshadowed because oftentimes when people are focusing on these soundtracks, you know, they'll talk about Monaco Hamano, or they'll talk about uh, the um, the F Zero composer who worked on Star Fox Two. Right. Good point, Will. Okay, so let's move on to one more track from Link's Awakening. Uh, This is kind of a different vibe here. Let's take a listen to Mysterious Forest. this this is a pretty badass track it's, it's very <laughs> funky so groovy and just snarly i mean it's it's really hard to know but i just have a slight suspicion that this might be kazuo ishikawa because it does remind me a little bit of kind of the the funkiness of star fox 2 it's 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 hard to say though it also reminds me a little bit of metroid though like I, I i feel like some of those harmonies kind of remind me of super metroid a little bit that's the thing the, the thing about uh, a lot of early video game soundtrack is there's just not great crediting hopefully one day we would get to speak with um one of these ladies or even yeah. kazumi tataka to maybe get some more clarity on yeah. the soundtrack because i'm deeply fascinated let's talk about this piece of music uh what's so i love great, the bass line i i know isn't it it's so catchy boom great beat yeah fantastic and uh Another thing that's great about this type of piece, which is something that I feel like you only get when an outside composer is working on this series, so much of the music in Link's Awakening is kind of a theme and variations arrangement of the Zelda overworld theme. And even though Koji Kondo, uh, I think, is really proud of that theme and he uses it again in Link to the Past, and uh, e- even though it's sort of like it's infamously not in Ocarina of Time, it shows up again in Majora's Mask. You know, it's it's part of this Zelda canon, this Zelda tradition. But in this game, what's interesting is we have a lot of these uh, theme and variations. So they're just taking one part of the melodic phrase and kind of building either a new melody or in this case, like a really groove based piece of music that's just taking that uh, main melodic idea. And what's cool, I think it allows these composers to have some freedom compositionally and go mm-hmm. outside of sort of the Koji Kondo template um, because they're still using that iconic Zelda theme. It's sort of another way of approaching this music and it's what makes this soundtrack so unique to me. Yeah, and what you guys hear right now, we just thought this would be a nice opportunity just for a few seconds here to show you uh, one of the kind of more faithful renditions of the overworld theme. There's actually a, a lot of really great 
um, faithful renditions of yeah. that main Zelda theme in Link's Awakening. So yeah, it's, it's really cool. cool and the addition of a lot of these kind of new counter melodies and other sort of independent melodic ideas uh, that come mm -hmm. into play. The Link's Awakening version of the overworld music is um, one of my favorites, and it's... Uh, it's a great presentation of an iconic theme. So we're going to move on to the next uh, handheld entry in the Zelda universe, and we actually have to skip a lot of years all the way into the next century. This came out in 2001, actually, but it was for the Game Boy Color. It was a dual release of The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages and Seasons. And we're going to play one track from Ages, I think a couple from Seasons. Um, the composers we have here, again, are composers that never worked before or after in, in the series. We have Kiyohiro Sada and Monaco Adachi. So another Monaco, but a different composer. I actually <laughs> am a really big fan of Monaco Adachi. Uh, she did all the work in, um, or not all the work, but a lot of great work in the Swordcraft story, the Summon Night series, which I love. Um, and she also did Riviera, The Promised Land, and she's just a, a great composer. So these are definitely good uh, scores. I think Seasons is definitely uh, way more impressive musically. I think Ages, there's not really as much that is memorable to me. It's funny. I wonder why that is, because they were sort of worked on, I imagine, at the same time, considering mm -hmm. the game's dual release. It's hard to know, but let's play just one track from Ages. This is, this is nice here. This is a very uh, kind of somber piece of music called Sadness. pretty you guys are listening to sadness uh the next 8-bit entry in the legend of zelda as far as handhelds go this is the legend of zelda oracle of ages and this like we said before was a dual release uh reminds me kind of of what they did with the pokemon games where they had red and blue right things like that so uh the other composer of this as well as monaco adachi is kiyohiro sada and he did work on some nes games such as uh there was like actually a Top Gun uh, game, and actually I think he's one of the composers of the original Contra. Um, so yeah, uh, Russian Attack is another one. So he he's actually done some classic stuff over the years. Yeah, what's cool about this piece of music, it sort of starts similarly to the uh, Koholint Island track that we were discussing. That's ha It almost starts on like the four and has that descending uh, seventh progression. Um, this one sort of starts the same way with those two seventh chords, but it's just oscillating between like the four seven chord and the three seven chord. Sure. Um, uh, really beautiful. Almost has a little bit more classical influence um, than sort of mainline Zelda stuff. There's a little bit of kind of uh, counterpoint in some passages, but yeah, very pretty. I think it's it has just a little bit of the sound of kind of Zelda that we associate 
And then there's also the unique influence of these composers. Very true. Well, I think we should now move on to the next uh, game in this dual release, The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons. It's easy to get confused here. So uh, we're going to play two pieces of music from this. And I think this one is so Zelda-ish. It's very simple and pure, and it reminds me of the musical tone of Link's Awakening. It's just, it's just adorable here. Let's take a listen to Din's theme from Oracle of Seasons. that's adorable you guys are listening to din's theme from oracle of seasons once again the composers we have here are kiyohiro sada and monaco adachi and i have a feeling one of the reasons why these particular composers were selected to work on this game is it should be mentioned that this game was actually developed by capcom as well as flagship so it was not developed by nintendo right yeah um that that's sort of another tradition with some of these handheld games in general which it's sort of a nice kind of under the radar way for outside influences to get to work in these iconic series and they end up sometimes influencing or changing things that eventually get readopted in the mainline series um, there's sort of a little bit of history of that where elements or items or character ideas or bits of the lore will be created in these Zelda games that were made by outside studios. Sure. And then that kind of becomes part of the Zelda canon in some way or another. What's interesting, this theme, I don't have as much experience with the Oracle games. I, I must right. say that that is yeah, probably of all of these games, This that's the one I have the least experience with. Um, but I know Din, uh, this is Din's theme. Din is one of the three goddesses that supposedly created Hyrule. I don't know if uh, that's the same Din, <laughs> but in Ocarina <laughs> of Time. A Din is a Din is a Din. Yeah, yeah Din I is like the power goddess. What's interesting, what's interesting about this theme is it's it's definitely a little bit less serious than maybe a lot of the music in Link's Awakening, even though it's It reminds cute. me of early Koji Kondo. Yeah, it kind of feels like old school, like NES arcade music or something, um, which, which is cool that um, they're still, you know, writing in the style in 2001, but... Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a really cute piece of music. So well, you notice how sort of chromatic it is? It's almost like the mm-hmm. underwater theme in terms of like going from a one to like kind of a chord, yeah. a half step below. It almost has like a barbershop quartet. That melody actually really reminded me of something uh, from the GBA Mario Kart Super Circuit. Very similar melody. Oh, yeah, that's, that is true. Kind of a different context, but yeah, there right. are some similarities there. So now let's move on to something a little bit more substantial. Uh, we're going to play the credits from Zelda Oracle of Seasons. Um, and I definitely wanted to, to play this because this uh, features some really good original material as well as a really awesome arrangement of the Zelda main theme. So I, I just think this is a really impressive way of doing this kind of, uh, you know, this medley of a lot of the music in the game. And, to, you know, to, to make that expressive and, and, you know, powerful on the Game Boy hardware is hard to do. So these composers did a great job with this. This is the credits from Oracle of Seasons. 
You guys are listening to the credits theme from The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons. So impressive. These this composers is outstanding. just did a bang-up job on this. Uh, so actually, it turns out both of these composers worked on the Summon, the Summon Knight Swordcraft series together. So um, yeah, huge fans of, of those soundtracks. And yeah, this is just so impressive to do this on the Game Boy. You can really tell this was thoughtfully composed and probably written out, um, you know, maybe even as like sheet music first because it's just so... I don't know, it's just so effective how they incorporate the original themes of this game, the main Zelda theme, and even that rendition of the main theme, I think is so wonderful. Like, you could orchestrate that, and all these ideas here are, are definitely there. You know, they have interesting counterlines, and there's there's portions of the melody where they kind of stop and then extend it and then add additional flourishes. It's just really beautiful. I almost wonder if by 2001, it was a little bit more... Um accessible or easy to implement for the Game Boy if they had some sort of better software and quicker I'm ways sure of hearing did. back how things would sound because this type of arrangement is so complex and detailed. I mean, there's such reverence for the original source material, but yeah, as Carl mentioned, all those new counter melodies are very tastefully done. They feel like in the spirit of the original game, yet they just go a bit further. And also, uh, in terms of the rhythmic feel, it it has, much like the original Zelda has a march feel, but it's a little bit slower and it's a little bit more stately, almost like pomp and circumstances, like a processional, which is perfect for the end credits. And also just something I want to point out, that like snare drum pattern on the noise channel sounds mm. so good to me. A yeah. little bit of uh, how the noise channel on the Game Boy works, it's um, you have less control than you do on the NES because you can't change uh, timbre or duty cycle. So there's no pitch change for uh, the noise channel. Sure. So all you have are those kind of volume curves that you make in whatever these composers did that noise channel really sounds like a <laughs> snare drum and you know just the part itself really feels like this authentic march pattern with a lot of little details in terms of like the yeah. 16th notes and everything yeah in general a lot of care and effort was put into this uh credits theme and so i'm really happy we got to play this an example of a track that we've never played on the podcast so a lot of those today which i'm really happy to share so okay before we move on to the next entry we do want to give a shout out um the play out today is going to be from the legend of zelda four swords which was a multiplayer game that was included in the gba release of a link to the past so that does have its own music um we're actually going to play a rendition uh by yuko takahara of uh, i think the zelda's theme so look forward to that at the end of today we just wanted to give that shout out so that you guys you know don't think we skipped that so all right now let's move on to the next entry on a handheld and it continues the collaboration between Capcom and Flagship as far as the developers here. So that was a very successful idea to, and, and actually kind of surprising that Nintendo, you know, kind of relinquished a little bit of the their control for, for the Zelda series here. I think it was wonderful because like we said, uh, those Oracle games, a lot of people love them. I know Minish Cap is definitely considered, you know, just a fantastic game. Minish Cap is one of my favorites. It has a really fantastic and unique story. Uh, an incredible score. It's it's really visually beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's like the sequel to Link to the Past. And also just talking a little bit about that idea I said before where ideas from like one of these outside games. Look at the new Mario game. How like his hat right. comes to life and is like part of him. That's totally an idea from Minish yeah. Cap where you know Link's iconic hat. This is sort of the origin story of the hat as like a character. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah I mean uh, not to say anything against Nintendo but I do think that as far as how fresh and 
and creative the the score in this game were i don't know if that would have been the case if it was just you know the typical nintendo people doing mm-hmm. it i feel like they may have rehashed a little I bit i would have more. loved to get both you know to have more monaco hamano and kazumi tataka <laughs> that would have also been really cool <laughs> yeah that would have been cool so i'm looking at this wonderful photo of mitsuhiko takano right now playing the drums he's behind a drum kit i'm just kind of googling him a little bit here so he was a, a composer at capcom he he worked uh, on some of the Marvel vs. Capcom games. Uh, he did some some work with Resident Evil, uh, Mega Man Star Force, Monster Hunter, uh, as well as the Mega Man X series later on. So, great composer. He and man, did he did. He nailed it. <laughs> a great job with Minish Cap. We're going to play four, whopping total of four tracks of this great score. Let's start off with the introduction from The Legend of Zelda, The Minish Cap. That is so beautiful. You guys just listened to the introduction from Minish Cap, which features um, melodic material that we're going to explore further in the next piece. But this is composed by Mitsuhiko Takano. Wow. Uh, Will was mentioning that he's like, you can tell that Mitsuhiko Takano was a drummer because he has such a strong sense of groove in the score. And I totally agree. And that's definitely true when you listen to his other work in, you know, series such as Marvel versus Capcom. But uh, yeah, I just I'm really happy that he got an opportunity to work in the Zelda universe. I Who think would have ever guessed he would be so great at mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's, it's exciting because I'm just imagining what his experience was like when he was told, oh, OK, you actually have this opportunity we're developing the Zelda game. I'm sure he was just thrilled. Mm-hmm. This is someone who could have very well grown up with the original Zelda game. Sure. And you just you just see a lot of um, kind of fresh ideas in the soundtrack, but also there's a lot of reverence for the, the world of Zelda. Yeah, I'm excited to sort of uh, proceed. One thing that's cool and just sort of reminds me, this introduction in terms of story... Um, is telling the backstory of Hyrule, like in every Zelda game. But the villain uh, for this title, rather than being Ganon, is the character Vati, who was actually in one of the Oracle games, I believe. So there is some sort of connection between those stories. I don't think it's the same link in Zelda. Again, it's like a new timeline or whatever. Um, But that villain is sort of the same. So those Capcom Zeldas almost have their own kind of world, I guess. Absolutely. Well, now let's move on to... The more definitive version of the melody that we heard in the introduction. This is one of the best things ever. (laughs) So, so good. So, so groovy. This is Minish Village from the Minish Cap.
You guys are listening to Minish Village from The Legend of Zelda, The Minish Cap. Will was just saying that we, we, he wants to cover this in the Mercado Band. This is composed by Mitsuhiko Takano. Um, there's so many unique things about this track. It, it doesn't feel like that Zelda-ish as far as the entire package, but the reason why it does work in the series is because it has a beautiful, simple melody uh, that's quite emotional. But the actual presentation of it here is so much more groovy and jazzy than we would typically get. Yeah. I really like how slow it is. It's like this slow one, kind of the super slow waltz. And the bass having, you know, featuring those legacy channels, the Game Boy, uh, you know, channels it's something that's like it's really fat and kind of feels like it's this like hip-hop bass yeah. it's just <laughs> in the line gnarly. is outstanding yeah I, I i completely agree with everything you said man i mean it, it it harmonically and in terms of the melody it's this classic zelda theme it it feels like it's tapped into that koji kondo lineage but so much more groovy and i i can't even explain it but it feels so right at home there's nothing about it that ever felt jarring to me and what's cool about its context in the game is um all the music up to this point is uh feels more kind of like of the zelda western classical tradition there's not much syncopation mm -hmm. it's all very yep sure. you know that kind of music and uh what happens in this game, one of the cool sort of gimmicks, I guess you could say, is you can shrink down to this tiny size and you learn about these uh, mythical creatures called Minish that are supposedly, yeah. you know, these really tiny people that, you know, live all over in Hyrule. And this is the first point where when you're small, you go into the Minish village and it's this like jam. It's so cool because it sets yeah. up these characters. Um, in a really interesting way because you've been told to them as folklore. It's almost like you're expecting this like ancient, you know, very serious people. And then you get there and it's like this more modern music. It's this more kind of groovy, catchy. It's a nice little way of sort of twisting your expectations. Um, and really, it's such a delightful video game experience um, for this handheld. I, I can't say enough about it. Absolutely. Let's continue with the Minish Cap, and now we're going to play another awesome piece of music called Hyrule Town, composed by Mitsuhiko Takano. Now this is classic Zelda, and, and I love that once again we're getting a little bit of Takano modern jazzy vibes uh, <laughs> as far as just the production, the overall presentation. it's Man, I, I gotta say I kind of wish he would have continued in the series. This is such a natural pairing of like old and new coming together. And that's one thing I did realize when I played the game. I, I didn't, you know, beat it or anything, but my time with this game, I was so impressed with how expansive this felt. This felt like a full-blown like console Zelda experience. Yeah. It didn't feel stripped down. It didn't feel I didn't like feel like limitations of the GBA. It looked great, it played great, and man did it sound great. 
Well, yeah, I remember they released uh, Link to the Past with uh, Four Swords on yep. the GBA, and then they also released Minish Cap. And I remember back to sort of my childhood is like playing through Link to the Past again with this. As a kid, I liked Minish Cap better. Well, this is like it more accessible and fun. Yeah, like the sprites are really colorful, and right. it's like it's like a little bit more cartoony, like in a, in a stylistic way. Yeah, it's it's such an amazing game, and the music is fantastic. Again, he's just nailing all of the Koji Kondo staples. And mm -hmm. this is an earlier point in time. This is post Ocarina of Time, of course. Uh, but there's again not as much to draw from in terms of the Zelda right. influence. I mean, when you think of the composers who worked on, say, like Skyward Sword. They had, you know, decades of this Zelda tradition to draw from, um, but Mitsuhiko Takano did not. And so I think his musical instincts are very acute, and he either studied a lot of what Koji Kondo did, or mm -hmm. is just really intuitive at picking it up. This uses that sort of um, mixolydian, or we like to call it the flat six, flat seven. It's something Koji Kondo uh, does a lot, but it, it has this really kind of... Um, it has this really kind of wondrous quasi modal sound to it. And it's, it sort of has become kind of a cliche for a lot of the like village music or house music. But this melody is just fantastic to me. The instrument choice section is also great. Again, um, the B section establishes a new melody. It's not taking that first melody on sort of like a sequence adventure. It has its own character. Great one, use of one that last thing flute. I want to say about uh, Takano's work, we are going to play one final piece from this game, but um, is his implementation of the GBA. He chooses yeah. uh, in a really smart way when to use sampled instruments and when not to. And the thing with the GBA is a little bit of those sampled instruments goes a long way to kind of fill in your imagination, like the gaps in your mind. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when that pan flute comes in and the din 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 din, it really feels like oh, we're in like the '64. Like this is like yeah. a you know, I'm comfortable here. It's not and you get some limited. of those string samples mm -hmm. and um, more chimey kind of uh, almost glockenspiel sounding instruments. So let's take a listen to one of the last things you hear in the game. This is the Vati battle, and uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to play this is i've mentioned this before but i'm not a big fan of most like battle music in games or most boss music it i think it's 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 typically effective but is, is something that i want to listen to like a lot of times i get really bored with boss music sure um and, and one thing that i enjoyed about this is that there's a lot to to talk about and kind of keep your interest in this piece of music. There's a little bit of kind of church organ, which feels sure. epic and you know confrontational. Well, and again, Koji Kondo established this great tradition with the boss music of mm -hmm. you know it is very progressive. It is much more dissonant and it has you know a more advanced language, but it's really interesting music and it's super catchy. Yes. I mean, you think of something like yeah. So that that is something that overall in the Zelda series, I will say, is fantastic music. Uh, let's take a listen to Vati Battle from the Minish Cap.
another great example of how he's using the very, very primitive hardware of the GBA here. Having the string and the brass and the snare drum samples really do a lot to kind of complete the, you know, your imagination. And then those legacy channels are kind of fleshing out the, you know, the inner voices. Um, this feels very full and just very epic. Amazing Game Boy Advance music, right? I mean, you even get some, like, timpani and yeah. bass drum. It, it's outstanding. A, a, a nice little subtle choice. If you notice that sort of chromatically descending progression, the ba 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 ba. The top voice is that kind of brass, like almost sounds like a pop trumpet sample. It reminds mm -hmm. me of the Metal Slug games. Um, but the <laughs> yeah. other, the other notes in that chord are actually being done by the those legacy, legacy uh, like squares. And cool. that's this amazing subtle effect because you sound like you're getting like a chorus of trumpets. Um, but all you really need is that top voice to have that timbre and the rest of them sort of uh, fade in with that texture. A cool thing about that organ line, Carl mentioned that it, it sounds kind of like Castlevania. I completely agree. Uh, but it also kind of um, is a nice little quoting back to the Zelda theme. Even though it continues after that, it sort of quotes that little phrase. Well, I'm very excited to move on to uh, the entry that I played the most out of any Zelda game. I absolutely adored The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass. This came out for the DS, and this is a few years after Minish Cap here. And the composers we have for The Phantom Hourglass, we have Kenta Nagata, who originally worked on Mario Kart 64. He went on to work on titles such as Wind Waker. He's back, as well as Toru Minigishi, who's now kind of like one of the, you know, feels like the modern classic Zelda composers. Kind of, yeah, he he took the reins on um, Twilight Princess, and yeah. he also did work on Wind Waker a little bit. So it's kind of like bringing back a piece of the Wind Waker team to work mm -hmm. on Phantom Hourglass, which is great since it's a sequel. Exactly, yeah. This is just such a awesome game. It's really funny. It's really swashbuckling. Uh, and just uh, the music really fits the bill. So let's take a listen to one of the early pieces that you hear in the game. And to me, um, when I think about the soundtrack of this game, this is probably the first thing that comes up. Uh, it, it kind of feels at home, not just in the Zelda series as a whole, but it reminds me of some of the cute and sweet and innocent music in Link's Awakening. Let's take a listen to Murkay Island. So I got to say this, uh, it had been a while at this point since Nintendo had, had developed um, an in-house um, Zelda game for a handheld, and I, I will say that it feels really nice to be home with Nintendo here because you get these Nintendo composers and um, you know writers and designers and everything, and this does feel a lot more... Um, I guess just classic and uh, expansive, <laughs> just kind of atmospheric right. and immersive, um, even than things like Minish Cap. Now, you know, it's maybe not fair because the DS, uh, you know, has better hardware and things like that. But yeah, it just feels like we're 
back in you know Nintendo's loving arms here. Well, I mean, again, maybe better than just sort of comparing them as better or worse. It's continuing the tradition of outstanding, really innovative Zelda handheld games um, right. in terms of the music and the game in general. This was so innovative using that sort of stylus control is your main way of moving and attacking and using right. weapons. And I found it to be really fun and supernatural. I love those uh, DS Zeldas. So this came out four years after uh, Wind Waker and I think three years after Minish Cap. Um, and what, what's really cool is because you have those same composers that had worked on Wind Waker, um, it, it probably wasn't that hard for them to go back into this world and it probably felt quite natural. And that's that's what I get when I listen to this music. It doesn't seem like something that was agonized over. It seems like they're um, really having a lot of that energy, kind of that momentum already built from from Wind Waker. I agree with that. Yeah, this theme is um, really excellent and it feels um, so much like Koji Kondo. Uh, I think this mm -hmm. is sort of, a lot of the music in Phantom Hourglass feels like kind of these alternate universe versions of pieces yeah. from Wind Waker. Like the ship music, it has the same instruments, the same general kind of feel, well, but a different melody. Well, there is music from and this Wind really Waker sounds too, yeah. like, uh, Right, that's true. And this music sounds like Outset Island, even with the boom pop pop mm -hmm. boom pop 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 boom pop pop Yeah, like I think the pirate theme from Wind Waker is there. Right. Uh, I think the ocean theme at some point comes the up. The ocean theme starts, but it has a brand new melody. Okay. It's, it's really interesting. Cool. All right, let's play one more track from Phantom Hourglass before we move on, because we have some amazing stuff to get to, actually. So uh, let's take a listen to Oshu's theme. He's kind of like the wise man in this game. Here we go. You guys are listening to Oshu's theme from The Phantom Hourglass, composed by Kenta Nagata and Toru Minigishi. Um, yeah, this uh, is definitely kind of continuing uh, the very clear medieval connotations that The Wind Waker established. Mm -hmm. It's it's so beautiful, though. This definitely reminds me of something that Koji Kondo would have composed because it's, it's like so that simple, intro music elemental. From Wind Waker. Yeah. It's just beautiful. It kind of reminds me of the... Uh, Morisami's Castle I can see Famicom that. Disk System soundtrack. It has a little bit of almost like folk Japanese influence. 
um, but also the sort of like Western Dorian mode scale. You know what I enjoy about listening to these like DS entries is you have these nice sounding samples that are kind of 16-bit era um, as far as you know how they how they sound and how they feel. But a lot of this writing, I'm kind of imagining it on an NES or on a Game Boy. Like it would definitely, it's kind of 8-bit style writing, isn't it? Yeah, I I, I think that's true. Uh, yeah, again, it's fun. It feels like this is just taking the energy from Wind Waker in many ways, but it also, uh, just in the context of today's episode, is attached to this sort of handheld mm-hmm. lineage, at least to the, the average gamer, you know? Well, now we're going to move on to the next entry on the DS, and this uh, was an era when they were cranking these handheld Zelda games out in quick succession. This was only a couple years uh, after Phantom Hourglass. This is Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. Really cool soundtrack here. Now, a very different style. A little bit more uh, world music influenced, mm-hmm. I would say, overall. And we've played one thing I, I just want to say is we're not playing the uh, the fantastic uh, mm-hmm. Koji Kondo end credits music that he wrote. Correct. Um, we've played it so much on this podcast. It's one of our absolute favorites. But we just thought we should maybe focus on uh, some other pieces from Spirit Tracks yeah. that we haven't heard before. Let's take a listen to one of the opening uh, village themes that you hear in the game. This is Aboda Village, uh, and I think this does a really good job of capturing the unique tone, the, mu- the unique musical tone of Spirit Tracks. Let's take a listen to this from The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks, composed by Toru Minigishi, Manaka Kataoka, who we're going to talk about in a little bit here, as well as Asuka Oda. <laughs> It's a classic. This is about a village from Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. Uh, one thing that I want to talk a little bit about is one of the composers in this game. Uh, so we have Manaka Kataoka, who this was one of her first projects. She is the primary composer for Breath of the Wild. Um, so I'm very interested and curious to hear her work. I'm sure as as you know the release uh, uh, approaches, we're probably going to hear that there are additional composers helping mm-hmm. her. You know, maybe Toru Minigishi, Asuka Oda, things like that. Um, but she is the primary composer. Um, so okay, talking about this track, Will <laughs> made a great point and said this feels very Yoshi's Islandish. Like it's so right. similar to the title screen from Yoshi's Island. It's kind of a similar um, world music right. sound. 
It's this world music sound and it has this kind of swung groove to it. It's not bum 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 bum. But what I think is great is in that final bridge section, you get some of that kind of snarly sense of humor and kind of mischievousness that you get <laughs> sure. in a lot of these Zelda village themes. Because, you know, just imagine you're talking to these various characters and some of them are kind of jerks or, yeah. A lot of personalities, yeah. This is a wonderful piece, a very catchy melody. It establishes, like you said, Carl, a sort of unique tone for the game. I love the interplay between the parts, uh, the marimba, which we're hearing in sort of the left uh, channel in terms of how it's panned. Um, but it feels something that um, feels very much it feels like something that seems uh, true to kind of the Zelda identity. We do get the kind of marimba sound a lot in flute. Uh, it's it, the way they play together is great. The the harmonies, the chords, they they feel again like the Zelda tradition, but it doesn't seem like a copy and paste or kind of like a thoughtless imitation. You know, For it, sure. it's really well crafted. I don't know who composed this, but it's absolutely beautiful. And yeah, the fact that it reminded me of Yoshi's Island is mm -hmm. only a good thing. Now let's move on to one more track from Spirit Tracks that we're going to play today. This is Burn. Uh, it's a character theme and it's hard to know who composed this. Spelled interesting. interestingly. Yeah, B-Y-R-N-E. Um, and uh, sim I think it's the way that that last name, I've seen that last name before, I believe. Maybe it's Bernie. Spelled that way. But uh, this is really interesting. This is a change of pace. It kind of feels like this Spanish acoustic guitar, um, you know, flamenco song here. You have some castanets, you have really funny and, and cute, endearing acoustic guitar samples on the DS. Um, but again, it's it's not getting to the point of Uncanny Valley because it's so clear this isn't real. So there it's is almost a charm kind of like Gerudo Valley or something. Yes, absolutely. Let's take a listen to Burn from Spirit Tracks. Excellent. We're listening to Burn from uh, Spirit Tracks. Holy wow. That's just, my, my breath is taken away. Beautiful melody. Such an interesting piece. These really unique harmonies. It somehow, again, it feels a little bit like Koji Kondo. It reminds me of Gerudo Valley to some extent. 
I love that the harmonies are based on these sort of oscillating between chords a half step apart. It's something that I associate with a lot of Metroid music, and it's that sort of idea is continued into the B section, and it's harmonized in a really evocative and sort of complex uh, way. It's yeah, beautiful. No it really has like that authentic flamenco sound. It yeah, doesn't this, just sound like an impression. This track absolutely floored me. It reminds me of the Wayne Shorter uh, jazz standard Footprints, actually. Uh, you guys should listen to that melody of Footprints, and it has some similarity to that. Uh, this is just so amazing. Like, It's so unique, and it goes into this territory that has never been Uh, explored in the Zelda series before or after this Uh, and again because it's so creative and because there's so many different sections and it's kind of taking you on this journey you forget that you're listening to DS music you really kind of imagine this guitar player playing this and just isn't this kind of crazy to think about that no one is performing this this is like samples that are being manipulated on a machine Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is just amazing. Expertly done. That's that's fantastic. Carl, I don't know about you, but I'm just having a great time so far. The episode yeah, could end right now, and I would feel so completely fulfilled. And we haven't even gotten to oh, our track, track of the of week. The week. <laughs> this is so awesome. I'm really excited to, to focus on this soundtrack. I feel like we've all been pretty much uh, fulfilled uh, as the years went on with the handheld Zelda games. But something about Ryo Nagamatsu's work in his two most recent 3DS entries has really floored me as a fan of Zelda music. I think he's just doing an amazing job. The first game that he worked on in the series was The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. And we're going to play a few tracks from this game, starting off with our track of the week. Uh, It's called A Kingdom's Legend. And Will, do you want to set this up a little bit? Yeah, A Link Between Worlds is an outstanding soundtrack. This past week, Carl sort of tasked me with the idea of, um, you know, pick a couple tracks from Link Between Worlds that maybe we could play. And I was so excited because there were all these pieces that I wanted to sort of share with him because there's so much Mm -hmm. excellent music in this soundtrack. And it kind of surprised me. And I know Carl because... To be fair, uh, a lot of Ryo Nagamatsu's previous work I associate with things like Mario Kart Wii and New Super Mario Brothers, and I didn't necessarily know which tracks he specifically composed, but there's a lot of music that, quite frankly, I'm not super fond of, so I I didn't know what to expect with this. Yet he also did work on uh, Mario Galaxy Galaxy. 2, and Mm -hmm. there's some great music there, but this soundtrack is like might be his magnum opus yeah. there's and a then, lot of this like brass quintet mm-hmm. um real you know real performers here uh beautiful evocative music i'm so excited to share this let's take a listen to this week's track of the week a kingdom's legend <laughs>
You guys are listening to A Kingdom's Legend from A Link Between Worlds. Holy moly. This is a new generation. We've reached a new generation of Zelda, I guess, handheld music, but really Zelda music in general. I think one thing that's so interesting about this is this is so much more like expressive and impressive than most of the, like production on hand on the the console entries like when you think about something like twilight princess it was all midi now we're finally getting uh you know some real performers on a 3ds game let's hope that we never go back to you know the world of general midi yeah i mean this is amazing uh harmonically this piece is sort of uh winking back to the music that plays when the great deco tree is sort of talking sure. about uh, Ganondorf and Ocarina of Time. I, I sound kind of like a nerd, but it's that it's very similar. To kind that. of um, <laughs> soft selling my own nerdiness, right? Uh, but it's a beautiful piece. Uh, I'm so excited to sort of um, continue in the vein of this incredible kind of brass quintet. It's amazing. Uh, there's amazing contrapuntal writing going on here. It feels very classical. It feels like Zelda. It's complex and deep and evocative it's so amazing and the performance is really expressive what's kind of interesting is the actual fidelity of the audio doesn't sound too great whatever kind of reverb is in there sounds very digital and it does sound kind of compressed but it could have been an intentional choice to sort of marry it with the because there is you know a bit of uh either general midi or you know sample based music in the soundtrack most Uh, of it there's also there's usually some element of real performer whether it's uh just you know one trumpet player or Mm -hmm. recorder well that was something that was actually uh further explored in his next entry there was a lot more real performance but yeah whatever he did really worked well because it sounds great the compositions are amazing uh let's move on to another track this is peaceful castle once again composed by ryo nagamatsu a treat to get this authentic classical music for The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds. This is Peaceful Castle, composed by the wonderful Ryo Nagamatsu, and I'm just so blown away by this work. I mean, this is so much more um, melodic and engaging than so much of the mainline series has been as of late. I mean, we love, you know, we're not saying anything against things like Twilight Princess and Wind Waker and Skyward Sword. We love... Yeah, you better not or I'll we fight love, you. <laughs> we love those soundtracks, but I don't know. There's just this level of energy here and this melodic uh, kind of sophistication that I just don't... It's definitely not the norm for those other soundtracks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think rather than sort of contrasting them 
against each other because they're all amazing in their own way. But sure. there is a level of expressiveness that comes out of hearing uh, live musicians. Mm -hmm. And also, yeah, a certain type of sophistication. I mean, I'm remiss to think of any pieces of video game music that have this authentic, like, <laughs> Baroque-style counterpoint. Right? I mean, this it's piece is like badass. a fugue. It has these separate that's what I'm talking brass about, entries. Yeah. And that's what's amazing, I think. That's the influence that real performers can have. Because when the idea is, okay, I'm having, you know, these four or five brass voices, there is this tradition for that ensemble of these kind of brilliant, sort of canonic brass exploration pieces and it, it's something that is very idiomatic to that tradition but the writing is so amazing it doesn't feel like an outside composer's impression of that mm -hmm. music it's super authentic in the way it also integrates um themes from link to the past in a subtle way because one thing to mention link between worlds much of the soundtrack is kind of modern arrangements of that music because it it's the spiritual sequel to that game, and it exists in pretty much the same map in the same world. Uh, so all the music we're going to be playing today is brand new melodies and uh, new themes. But I think sometimes, again, it's like unappreciated because if you were to reduce what the soundtrack is to just like a single sentence, it would be, oh, it's linked to the past music arranged in a more modern context. Sure. But one forgets about all the incredible There's a lot of great original that, stuff. Uh, Nagamatsu has written. I can't say enough about this peaceful castle. This is honestly something I could see doing in a breakdown and analysis episode because it's just so dense and it really warrants something like that. Well, I could see doing like a Ryo Nagamatsu Zelda spotlight episode featuring Link, Link Between Two Worlds and uh, his, his next uh, entry that we haven't gotten to yet because it's just amazing. And even the remix stuff he does is so exciting too. So let's play one more track from A Link Between Worlds. And this, I believe, features a combination of sequenced and performed. I think uh, the acoustic guitar here is probably sequenced, but then yeah. we have um, a really nice flute sound that feels real Yeah, it's me. actually a, re a recorder. And I, mm -hmm. I don't know who at Nintendo plays recorder because it, it happens on the Nintendo Land soundtrack and I know mm -hmm. Nagamatsu worked on that so maybe it could be him but right. uh, a beautiful um, expressive playing. One thing I want to mention this is Hilda's theme we've played this before but this is a version called Hilda's theme milk bar and uh, in the game there's this sort of milk bar that you can go to and interact with characters not like a bar like a Kit Kat bar not a milk yeah. chocolate bar <laughs> no like a, like a place and um you go there and talk to characters and what's interesting about the music is there's lots of different themes that play and they're um, sort of arrangements of different character themes so yeah. there's this character called Ravio mm -hmm. in the game and he has this arrangement with uh, you know guitar and he it's has beautiful. this arrangement with guitar and recorder and then Hilda's theme what's interesting is the milk bar arrangements are like better better than the definitive soundtrack ones in my opinion and so we're definitely gonna be playing more music from this uh in the future because it's just fantastic right if you haven't heard hilda's theme then this is a great way to introduce you to it let's take a listen to hilda's theme milk bar Thank you. 
isn't that gorgeous? What a great way to kind of wrap up uh, talking about A Link Between Worlds there. Um, and yeah, it's going to lead us nicely into his next entry. Wow, that's beautiful. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about maybe some of this implementation, but I have a feeling that Ryo Nagamatsu created his own custom set of sample libraries for, for these games. Because there's this interesting thing. A lot of the instruments, um, in terms of the performance, they really do sound real. Yeah. Yet there's something about them that sounds kind of fake. And I don't know if it's the microphone setup or the fact that... So it's like hard to tell if this is real performance that's a good that was thing, kind of mic'd right? bad or if it was uh, virtual instruments that just sound really good. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like as far as 3DS music goes, that's a that's an awesome indictment in my opinion. Totally. So, all right, let's move on to the next entry that he worked on. Another 3DS game. It's Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes. This is what we're going to end the day with. And this was amazing. This main theme, when they posted this video on YouTube of, um, you know, that was the era, you know, kind of during Mario Kart 8 where they kept posting all these awesome in-studio videos. And this was, um, it seemed like the same studio. Um, and this uh, main theme was so great. It was just kind of this like classic swashbuckling Gaelic theme with this beautifully virtuosic violin. So this violinist, she's actually featured on the whole soundtrack and she's featured here as well. It's just so beautiful. Let's take a listen to Stage 2 Riverside from Triforce Heroes. <laughs> who brought you such acclaimed soundtracks as Mario Kart Wii <laughs> and New Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Wii. No, this is incredible. What gorgeous music. This what reminds me of Joe Hisaishi. Yeah. Ryo Nagamatsu Beautiful. is an incredible composer. Great yeah. performance. It feels like Zelda, that ostinato, the kind of climbing idea, that mm -hmm. reminds me of um, this specific piece uh, the sort of version of Midna's theme in yes. Twilight Princess. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, in my opinion, today's episode was so great, so stacked, and so fun. But Rai Nagamatsu's work on the last two 3DS entries are definitely kind of the main thing to talk about, in my opinion. They're just amazing. Well, especially that they're the most recent entries. It gives me a lot of excitement and... Mm -hmm. Hope for the future, and I think one of the really heartening things about today's episode is that, for the most part, every single soundtrack 
He's like a new composer, you know? Yeah. It's it's new people working on it, and they were all so stellar. They were all really fantastic. They carried on the tradition of Koji Kondo. They integrated mm -hmm. new music. It was handled with grace and so much taste. It, yep. It's it's this beautiful sort of Nintendo tradition of allowing different people to step forward and take a lead role. That's why I'm really excited for what we're going to see uh, with Breath of the Wild and Manaka Karaoka's mm -hmm. work because that's part of the Nintendo tradition is you let new composers come in and sort of take the reins. And this is a series that is just held with so much reverence by not only Nintendo, but every artist and individual that works on it. And I hope that's a tradition that can continue forward for decades to come. And one thing that this episode has taught me, and maybe just reminded me more than anything, is that when it comes to the handheld um, kind of sub-series of The Legend of Zelda, these are not slouches. I mean, these soundtracks are every bit as expressive, every bit as beautiful is the mainline series. Um, and so, I mean, for that, I think we're all grateful as, as fans of this series and of this music. So what we're going to do is we're going to play you guys out with a track from Four Swords for the GBA. It's it's uh, Yuko Takahara's rendition of Zelda's theme. So guys, we're having a great time starting off this season 11. Next week, we have a really exciting um, interview episode. I know, I know we just recently had one, but we kind of had one stockpiled. So you guys should enjoy that next week. And then a um, couple things uh, to end the day with plug wise i think this is the first episode since we were uh recently featured on buzzfeed actually there was an article called uh 22 podcasts that will make you a more interesting person and we were lucky uh, very fortunate to be featured on that um yeah, that so, was crazy yeah so if you're a new listener to the podcast we want to welcome you and thanks for joining us uh, you can subscribe to us on itunes thanks for everyone for leaving a nice review on there we're on twitter at mercado bros you can subscribe to us on youtube and we're on facebook and our website is supermercadobros.com yeah, we have some really cool sort of exciting projects in the works, and hopefully this will just be a, a really fun season for all of you. I was really, yeah, honored by that whole BuzzFeed article. I think last week's episode may have come out since the events of that, but we did record it before mm -hmm. uh, that article went up. And yep. um, so thank you to all of you for your really kind feedback. And yeah, ever since MAGFest, uh, we've been just getting sort of a, a wash of love from all of you guys. And you guys, you know, we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Also, thanks to all of our patrons. We couldn't, we literally couldn't do the show without you guys. Uh, if anyone is, is interested in supporting us, we do have a Patreon page and all of our patrons are just literally responsible for uh, keeping this show going. So Thanks, everyone, for your love. Uh, we're going to be back with you next week. Here's the playout track from Four Swords. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out. Peace out.